very glad to be able to bring the Lord's word to you this morning. And um, I would like you to turn in your Bible to the Psalms. And to the 87th Psalm. Psalm 87. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things have spoken of thee, O city of God. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon as among them that know me. Behold Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. Yea, of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one was born in her, and the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord will count when He writeth up the peoples, this one was born there. They that sing as well as they that dance shall say, All my fountains are in thee. Just a word of, further word of prayer. Beloved Lord, we thank you again as we come to the ministry of your word. We need you, Lord. And we thank you that you have provided an anointing for the speaking of your word, for the translating of your word, and for the hearing of it. And into that anointing we now all stand by faith. Speak to us, Lord. Let it be a time when we, uh, our hearts are opened in a new way to yourself. And we shall be careful to give you all the thanks and praise of our hearts for answering this prayer. We ask it in the name of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus. This 87th Psalm is one of the smallest Psalms. It's not the smallest, but it is one of the smallest Psalms. It is seven verses only. What is incredible about this psalm is that the whole eternal purpose of God is encapsulated within these seven verses. It is extraordinary. Everything you and I need as those born of God. It is within this little psalm. And only and only the Holy Spirit could have done this. For most of us, we would have written a tome on the eternal purpose of God. But in seven verses, the Holy Spirit gives us the heart and mind of God. It is extraordinary. 
Let me repeat the first verse. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Why does the Lord only talk about a foundation? I think it would be extraordinary if I invited you to come to Jerusalem and see my foundation. You would think I'm mad. What's the point of going all the way to Jerusalem to see a foundation? What is the meaning? Why doesn't the Lord say, some wonderful things. Why foundation? Think. The Lord could have said, the city of God is in the mountains. He could have said, the house of God is in he could have said the home of God is in the mountains. He says his foundation is in the holy mountains. And then he says the Lord loveth the gates of Zion. The whole point of a, of a foundation is what is built on it. A foundation is nothing unless it is something is built on it. We know that the Lord Jesus is the foundation which God has laid. But the extraordinary thing is that God is pointing to something in this psalm that we need to take note of. Unless we are founded on the foundation, we will be lost. Unless we are built on the foundation, there will be no purpose to our Christian life. It's what the Holy Spirit builds on the foundation. The Lord Jesus is the foundation. But then there is a building on it. Now, you see, if I... Oh, I, I have to be careful of myself, but still. <laughs> a foundation is nothing without the building. So I've got to ask a question. What is happening to the salvation with which the Lord has saved you. The foundation may stand, but what is being built in your life is the Holy Spirit free to do with you what He wants to do? Can the Holy Spirit make the Lordship and sufficiency of the Lord Jesus real in your life? There is so much in this. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus the Messiah. But if you're a child of God, God has given you everything in the Lord Jesus. 
The foundation is only the beginning. Is what it is what is built on it that matters to God. The foundation is all important. Because in the storms it will last. But it is, as I've said again and again, it is what is built on it. Wherever you turn, you will find this incredible matter. The city, if you, if you take your Old Testament, everything is related to the city of God, Jerusalem. God actually said in the early chapters of the Bible, you shall not offer your offerings anywhere that you choose. But you shall come to the place which I will cause my name to dwell there. There you will offer your sacrifice. There you will make your offerings. There you will give your tithes. There you will serve me. This is, this is important. Because, I mean, think for a moment. The trouble with most Christians is they don't think. It's a huge problem we have. We've all got these brain boxes, but most of it is not used. What is the Lord really saying? Why does He say the place where I cause my name to dwell? Now, in the Bible, names always mean something. Abraham, father of a multitude. Yitzhak, laughter. Because Sarah laughed when the Lord said to Abraham, your wife will bear another child. Yosef, addition. Exactly what Joseph was. He saved Egypt. And he saved the Jewish people. Everywhere you turn, Moshe, drawn out. You see, it's prophetic of the personality and the work, the calling of the person. Now God says about this city, about this place, you shall not offer your offerings anywhere, but you shall come to the place where I cause my name to dwell. In other words, it is the personality of God. It is the heart and mind of God. It is the place where you can find the Lord. Jerusalem. So Jerusalem became everything in the Old Testament. Because that's where the temple was built. That's where the sacrifices were made. That's where prayer and intercession was made. 
那里就把神的心和神的心意给启示出来。So important is it that whole kings and kingdom, their reign is judged by their attitude to the temple.神就在那里看到那个王以及国度，他的那个掌权，就从那个他在城城里所做的一些事就表明出来。The whole two books of Chronicles deal with every reign. By the way that it is related to the house of God in Jerusalem. You couldn't be saved under the old covenant unless you went to the temple with a bullock or a lamb or two turtle doves. There you found the the forgiveness and the salvation of God. Not outside of it. The whole old covenant is explained by the city of God in Jerusalem. Dear brother and sister, I said that this little psalm encapsulates the whole purpose of God. Because the Bible begins with a garden. In Genesis chapter 2, we are told God planted a garden. And in that garden was, were rivers. And if you follow the river, you will find gold, precious stones, and pearl. Maybe the pearl is not so clear, but in Hebrew, Berutach means a river pearl. So it is quite extraordinary. When you come to the end of the Bible, you have a city. The garden has become a city. Out of what is that city built? Pure gold, precious stone, and pearl. You had the whole Bible from beginning to end. Then Jerusalem is the key. And that is why Jerusalem has never fallen, never disappeared. Because Jerusalem, even poor old Jerusalem, <laughs> represents the very heart and mind of God. It represents the word of God. The will of God. The purpose of God. The salvation of God. The Messiah of God. The glory of God. It's all centered in that city. Symbolically. That's why it has never fallen. Babylon has gone. Memphis has gone, except the one here in the States. Um, Memphis has gone. All these great cities of antiquity, Nineveh, gone. Not Jerusalem. It has outlasted them all. Because it represents the heart and mind of God.
Let me take you a step further if you are not too tired. Um, when you come to the New Testament, it is the same. But there is a difference. Let me read to you two scriptures to explain. In Ephesians, and chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm just going to read 21 and 22. In whom each, in, in, in whom the whole building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation or home of God in the Spirit. Did you hear that? He's speaking about the church, about those who are born of God. He says, in whom? In whom? The Messiah. Jesus. In whom the whole building fitly framed. Grows into a holy temple. Listen, in whom? In whom? In the Messiah Jesus. Ye are made a habitation, a home of God in the Spirit. No wonder going back to Psalm 87 it says, Glorious things were spoken of thee, O city of God. The whole Old Testament looks forward to the fulfillment of this. Here you have this incredible, this incredible revelation. When God created the universes, and this universe, and this planet, He had a purpose. He longed to be at home in the human beings, He said. He wanted to make it His home. Not just a religious place, but a place where God could be at home. That's why it says in Psalm 131, I'm sure you all know it, Psalm 131, I'll just read it to you. Um, Psalm 131, and here it is, verse 13. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. So the purpose of God was to find a home in saved human beings. It was to be himself. To express himself. To be at rest. You can't help but feel sorry for people who don't have a home. Because a home should be the place where you can rest. You take your shoes off. You take your wig off. 
You take your glasses off. And you just relax. God wanted a home like that. I, don't, I must be very careful, I'm not irreverent. But God wanted a place where he could take his shoes off. Where he could just be himself. He could relax. Where he could reveal himself. You know, one of the great themes of the Bible is not only the house of God. It's not only the blood by which we are saved. One of the themes of the Bible is glory. Man lost the glory almost at the beginning. It is the Lord Jesus, the King of Glory, that restored it. And the Apostle Peter puts it beautifully. He says that in 1 Peter, and uh, I think it is chapter 5, and it's verse 10. He says this, um, Through whom ye were called, let me put it, and the God of all grace who called you unto his eternal glory in the Messiah, after that ye have suffered a little while, shall himself perfect, establish, strengthen. 彼得前书第五章第十节，那是诸般恩典的神，神在基督里召你们得享他永远的荣耀，得你们战胜苦难之后，必要亲自成全你们，结果你们势力量给你们。Isn't that amazing? Outside of him, nothing. In him, everything. Well, I, it is true. But I wouldn't call it the most Jewish gospel. I think the most Jewish gospel is John. It is totally in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And nothing was made that has been made that was not made through Him. And then it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and glory. Eight times Jesus takes the unmentionable name of God. I am, I am that I am. God said to Moses when he appeared to him in a, a thorn bush. Tell them 
Pharaoh and the others, tell them, I am sent you. And Jesus took this name, I am, and said, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me shall not shall not die. And he that liveth and believeth on me shall never die. I am the door of the sheep. It's, a, it's incredible. How could he do it? Was he mad? Was he mental? Or is it a revelation of God? The God of glory. I find that tremendous. Just to think. You see, you and I, you may be pretty poor. I mean, when it comes with, as thou brother said, right at the beginning of the Lord's table, we're only dust. We come from the dust. And we return to the dust. Only when the King of Glory steps into the dust does something happen. And that's what this incredible psalm is all about. You've been called to eternal glory. <laughs> Not a flash of glory. Not an outburst of glory. eternal glory. The whole old covenant is centered in this calling. I said to you yesterday, when God saved Abraham, when, when the God of glory appeared to him, Abraham saw in the God of glory the city of glory. And from that moment, he became a soldier. A pilgrim. He caught something. And he was never the same again. The biggest problem we have with Christians is that they become lifeless, bound, religious, and have no living experience of the Lord Jesus. No, no ongoing living experience. This is the biggest problem we have. When people are living Christ, other people get attracted. Other people become disturbed. They're provoked. It always, it's always the same spiritual principle. When people are experiencing the Lord, somehow they bring others to Him. Well, I must watch the time, as usual. Um, but 
you, you have to say this is something incredible when you think about it. So the, the old, old Testament, which is so unbelievably valuable. Is explained in this extraordinary song. It's not only to do with holy mountains, and it's not only to do with the foundation in the holy mountains, it is a certain city. In those mountains. And a foundation that lies within it. Upon which the house of God was built. And God filled it. You remember the story of how the glory of the Lord filled it? on the dedication of the temple. No priest and no Levite could stand because of the glory of the Lord filling the temple. But when you come to the new covenant, it has moved into a new dimension. When the Lord Jesus saved us, it wasn't just that we should be little religionists. It was that we might be in union with the Messiah. Daily experiencing his life. Daily experiencing the treasures which the Father has put within him. The Christian life is not a thing. Can you put that in words? I don't know. <laughs> it is a person. It is the Lord Jesus. You experience him. You know him. He speaks to you. And you speak to him. I don't know why, but many Christians would drop dead if the Lord spoke to them. They would have a shock. Who was that? Even in prayer meetings, sometimes they say, Oh Lord, speak to us. I feel sometimes if the Lord said something, they'd all go, the end of the prayer meeting. I mean, we all expect, um, uh, we don't expect the Lord to speak to us. We speak to the Lord. I always remember an experience of mine when I was at Halford House in, in Britain. A lady used to phone. She lived about 60 to 80 miles away. And she would phone to try and speak with me. But she was a total menace. She was a menace, a threat. I don't know. Can someone help? <laughs> She was a menace. So everyone in the house, when she came, they would try to put her off and say, no, he's not available. Sometimes I work late on Bible studies in the evening. And in this, my study, the phone would ring. And I would take it up. And it was always the same. 
She always began by saying, Oh, the Lord has blessed you with wisdom and a spirit of counsel. Thank God. At the end, she would say, Oh, brother. You have counseled me right. I thought this is what I should do. And you have confirmed it, and I got no chance to say, Sister, you're right out of the way. These are like some of our prayers. We pour out everything to the Lord. Lord, you have all the wisdom, you have all the counsel. Help us, speak to us, lead us. But the Lord doesn't get a word in. Not a single word. If he, if he did say silence, we would have a heart attack. The Christian life is a marvelous two way. You speak to him, and he speaks to you. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. If we don't hear them, how can we follow him? You see, well, I, I say I'm, I'm watching the time, don't worry. Um, um, this, these scriptures I've given to you, I think of another one. In, here it is, let me just read it to you in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Unto whom coming, that is the Lord Jesus, a living stone, rejected indeed of men, but with God elect precious, ye also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus the Messiah. What's the point of a foundation? If the house is not built on it. We are living stones. And the Holy Spirit is the great supervisor of the building work. And he builds us together. Now, in the old world, you had no uh, grouting. Uh, I don't know if you understand. You didn't have something between the stones. The stones were perfectly fashioned to 
so close are they, you can't even put a knife in between two stones. I could take you to some places in Jerusalem, old buildings like that. It's not so easy to be built together. That means something may be shaved off you. Now,有些东西,比如要从身上消掉。那石头才能够密合在一起。Is so this little psalm is incredible. <laughs> Listen again just to it. Um, uh, 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 in um, the 87th Psalm. Listen. I will make mention, verse 4, I will make mention of Rehab, that's Egypt, and Babylon, as among them that know me, behold Philistia, and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born there. said, This one and that one was born in her. And then verse 6 The Lord will count when he writes up the peoples, this one was born there. If you were born of God, if you've been born again, born of the Spirit of God, you've been re-registered. The Lord doesn't see you as born in America. Or China, or Taiwan, or Malaysia, or Indonesia, he says, You've been born in Jerusalem. You've been re registered. That's why this little psalm speaks of the eternal purpose of God. He's changed your birth registration. Even if you were born in Babylon, which you could say about New York, but never uh, even if you were born in Babylon, you've been re-registered. God says you were born in Jerusalem. Now someone says, I think he's going too far. What does the Apostle Paul say? He says in Galatians, I think it's the four, and almost the last verse, he says, the Jerusalem which is above, which is the mother of us all. Now, if you have, have had your birth re-registered, doesn't it mean that in union with Christ, everything you need is in Him? Doesn't it mean that the Holy Spirit will reveal what is in the Lord Jesus for you, to you? And will He not enable you to possess what is yours in the Lord Jesus? Well, how do you grow? By eating, drinking, that's how you grow. I mean, when you were born, you were this size. 
歌唱的,跳舞的,都要说,我的全员都在你里面。That is all the sources of your life.那就是讲到你生命的全员。Are they? in heaven?是不是都在它里面呢?Or are they in the world?还是都在那个世界里呢?You see, the biggest problem the church faces is the philosophy of the world in it, in the church. Then it's the wisdom of the world Many Christians call it common sense. But common sense is the rarest sense. It's not common at all. If the Lord Jesus died for you, if the Father has placed everything in him you need, common sense would tell you sacrifice everything for him. You understand? It's so obvious. But you see, into the church comes the world's wisdom. For instance, now the church is recasting the word of God in many, many instances. Making the word, making the word of God more contemporary. Making it more acceptable to the world around us. You see, often it's it's bound up with psychiatry, with psychology, and a whole lot of other things. It comes into the church. Instead of being in Christ, it is in the world. And once it comes in, the church loses its dynamic. It loses its power. It loses its testimony. It's gone. So here you have this little psalm that encompasses the whole eternal purpose of God. For when you come to the last chapters of the Bible, you see a city. And where is this city coming from? Not out of the earth. But out of heaven. And it has the glory of God. And in it, there is no temple. And no house of God, because it says, the law of God and the Lamb are the temple God has finally come home. And then we don't even know what his purpose is. 
People are always asking me, well, what is God's purpose for the ages to come? Will we eat? The Chinese always ask me this. Will we eat? Will we wear clothes? The Germans always ask me this. Will we wear clothes? Will we do this? Will we do that? Will we do the other? But this city is also called the bride. And generally speaking, a marriage is the beginning, not the end. What a calling you and I have. God has saved us. Do we know what our calling is? It is to the glory of God in Christ. You know, I said to you about all the I am's in John, John's Shall I tell you what I think is the most extraordinary? It's in John 15. I am the true vine. And my father is the husband of all the things Jesus said that blew the mind of his disciples. That must have been the greatest. The vine was always the symbol of God's covenant. Even the temple had a filigree, gold filigree, uh, Josephus tells us, in the porch. An incredible gold filigree vine with grapes and everything uh, in gold. A picture of the covenant people of God, what they were supposed to be. And Jesus said this. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, neither can you. What did he mean? He said abide. So if you're saved, you've already been placed in the Messiah. Stay there. That's your home. Stay where God has placed you. And you will know life. And fruit. It's all so amazing. It was God who by the Holy Spirit, the Father who by the Holy Spirit Repositioned you in Christ. Stay where he placed you. Don't be panicked to run out. <laughs> Stay. Abide in me. And I. In you. So when you abide in Him, He in us becomes the resurrection, becomes the life, becomes the power, becomes the fruitfulness, He becomes everything. I think this is an extraordinary little song. Seven verses, and it encompasses from eternity 
to eternity. Thank you very much for listening to me. Thank you.